mindset. We pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's clap to our great God today, amen. Give him a clap offering. Go ahead and have a seat. We are so thankful for you being here this morning in the second service. And we are continuing in this series. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Now, let, I want to let you know, we're, gonna, we're not going to be in one text this morning, okay? Uh, we're going to be kind of laying some groundwork, continual groundwork for this series where we're going to be looking in the book of Acts in the coming weeks and looking at some of the things that happened in the book of Acts and some of the stories that happened in the book of Acts where there was boldness. But it really felt led to just give you a little bit of a, just some groundwork about boldness in, in our lives. And so we're in this series called Bold, and we're taking lessons from the early believers about what it means to, to live with courage. When we talk about boldness, we established this in the first week. We're not talking about being obnoxious for God. We're not talking about just being a loud mouth and, and you know, and where you're so obnoxious that people won't even listen to you about, about what's going on in your life for Christ. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is we're talking about being unashamed of identifying with Jesus Christ, of being willing to identify with the Lord at all costs, and, you know, and not, and not being quiet about your faith, or not being maybe kind of more like a closet Christian where you're, you're afraid to identify yourself because of some of the re re repercussions that may come as a result of that. We're talking about being courageous. You know, we, we learned over the weekend in our men's conference that leadership and courage is, is stepping up. And it's doing the right thing, even when it's the hard thing to do. Even when it's difficult and you're willing to step into that and not be afraid, and, okay? And so we're in this series called Bold. Now, now Pastor Randy, a couple weeks ago, he said if it, was a, if it was a story or lessons about me and my character, Pastor Randy said we would have called it what? Do you remember if you are here? Bald. All right, clever, funny, funny man, isn't he? Funny, funny man. All right. So we got to thinking, well, what would we call it, you know, if, if this were about Pastor Randy, you know, our executive pastor, what would we call that? All right. All right. Some of you are like, I'm ready for this. Okay. We started thinking we might call it this. We'd call it old. Okay. We'd, that's what we'd call it. We'd just call it, we'd call it old. All right. I like to, I like to tease him, you know, he's a little Cy Robertson looking right there. Okay. I like to tease him because he's about a year and a half older than I am, so I always have that on him, all right? He teases me about being bald. Well, he's old, okay? And so we like to have fun, right? A lot of you know my story. Many of you maybe don't know my story as you're newer in our church. But uh, I grew up in this area, and, 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 and if you've been through Newcomers, you know a little bit of my story too. We were unchurched at one point until I was about eight years old. Then my parents started going to church. My parents were religious until they came into a relationship with Jesus Christ that changed their lives, okay? Then we started going to church a lot. And so here's what I became. I became a church member. But I'm going to let you know something. I was not a believer. You realize that's possible, right? That you can be a church member and never be a believer in Jesus Christ. That is very possible. It happens all the time. Scripture talks about the tares being sown among the wheat. Okay, Jesus talks about that. And so that's possible. It happens all the time. A lot of people are just religious, but they're not in a relationship with God. They don't know Christ as their Savior. It wasn't until I was 14 years old, and we've been in church now for probably about six years, and I learned all the Sunday school answers to questions about God. I went to Sunday school. I learned a lot about God. I had a lot of knowledge, head knowledge about God, and just kind of understood a lot of things, but I had not come into a personal relationship with Christ until I was around 14 years old. I was a freshman at Boswell High School uh, right out here growing up out here, and I came into an encounter with the living Christ, and Jesus began to change my life. 
who started changing my life, and, and it was more than just going to church. There was, I started, you know, uh, just the Lord started just convicting me about sin in my life and just blending in. Now, I'm going to say this. Before I knew Jesus Christ, and many of you, maybe some of you went to school with me, all right, and you know this about me. I'm going to say this, and this was hard to say in the first service because my mom was in the first service, okay? But I, I was not a nice person B.C., before Jesus Christ. I was not a nice person. I had a filthy, ugly, dirty, mean-spirited heart. Now, my mama might be, Bart, you're exaggerating. No, it was depraved. I want you to know. You know, mamas don't like to think that about their kids, right? But I had a depraved heart, all right? And, and I want you to know this, that I was mean to people. I was mean to people in school. You know, middle school kids can be mean, right? And high school kids can be mean. Well, people can just be mean whenever their heart's dirty. And my heart was dirty. My, I, was, I was going to church, and I was mean to, to other people, and, and I was learning all the things about God, and I was completely living this duplicitous life where at church I knew how to blend in and look like the church people. And then when I would go wherever I would go over here, I knew how to act like the rest of my friends. And I would even tell you this, I was worse and, and you know, than many of them that didn't yet know the Lord, and I want to say this, or know about the Lord, because I was an incredible hypocrite. I was a hypocrite at this point where I would praise God with my mouth at one point, and I would curse men on the next day, or in the next moment. I mean, I was a hypocrite. I didn't know Christ at this point. I knew a lot about him, but I didn't know him. And then I came to know Jesus as my Savior, and he started transforming me. He started doing something in my heart. He started cleaning my heart up. I had a foul mouth, foul mouth, was embarrassed on several occasions in front of my parents by my mouth. I was embarrassed one time while I was at church. My youth minister walked up behind me while I was at church just letting it rip, man, on some foul words. He walked up behind me, looked at me. I was just mortified that he heard me, and he just looked at me, and he just walked off. That's the kind of person I was. I'm not proud of any of that. I don't want to glorify any of that, but I just want you to know that I had this intense desire to be in the in crowd. I wanted to be accepted by people. I, I And I struggle with this still some, all right? I was a people pleaser, and I wanted people to like me. I wanted to kind of be accepted by my friends, and, and so I would compromise and do things that, that I'm not proud of today that were, that, were, that were ugly things. In fact, I'll tell you this. If you knew me before Jesus Christ, and I was, I was ugly and mean to you, all I can say today is, sorry, okay? I'm sorry. And aren't you glad that Jesus changes people's lives? Thank God for that. I, I'm really sorry. I mean, it breaks my heart knowing what I was like, but, but, but that was before Christ, right? Depraved hearts do depraved things. Ugly hearts do ugly things. But then I had this encounter with Jesus at 14 where I went from religion into a relationship with God. Now, now here's what I want to begin to say to you. I was a freshman in high school at Boswell when this happened. My mother was one that was instrumental in this because she understood what it meant to be religious and know Christ in a relationship. I, I received Christ and I believed on him in faith and by his grace I've been saved through Jesus, not of myself, so no man can boast. And, and I called on him and he saved me. And, and listen, uh, he began to transform my heart some. But I wish I could tell you that at that moment, I was incredibly bold for my faith in Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know that as a freshman and sophomore Christian now, I was terribly afraid. 
I was terrified, and I would give in and compromise in certain kinds of ways because, again, I was afraid of what my friends were going to think about me. I was, I, I was afraid of if I would even have any friends, and being straightforward, I, I look at it now, I really was a spiritual coward. I really, I was, and, and I wasn't afraid of getting beat up, okay, all right? I wasn't afraid of that because I was a bigger guy, and, and I, was, I was, you know, a football player and, and, and the captain of our football team and, and you know, and, and, and athletic and, and muscular and all these kinds of things. And so I wasn't afraid of getting beat up physically for my faith. My biggest problem and fear and hang-up was, was rejection. I didn't want to be rejected by my friends, I wanted to be accepted by them. I wanted them to think something of me in that kind of way. And, and so I started even at that point as a Christian, I still was pretty good at blending in. I still was pretty good at kind of acting the part at one point. But, but here's the difference at this point. The Holy Spirit was convicting me about this now. And I knew that I was wrong. I knew that this wasn't right. And I would just, I would sometimes just, just be so upset with myself and hate myself for that, that, uh, that I was just such a coward at this. And, and so I went to a summer youth camp, which, by the way, our youth camps are important. God did a remarkable thing in my life at a summer youth camp where I went between my sophomore and my junior year of high school. And God had an appointment with me at that, at that camp, and God convicted me and confronted me through one of the speakers that year who one of the things that he was speaking up about was boldness in your walk with God and quit being a, and this is the way he put it, quit being a spiritual wimp. You're, you, you're being a wimp, and that, as, a, as an athlete and as a, as a young man, that really resonated with me. I'm like, yeah. I'm tired of being a wimp. I'm sick of it. I'm going to step up. I'm going to stand up for Christ. I'm going to do this. So I had just this repentance time with God. And I just remember saying, Lord, you, you hung on a cross for me. The least I can do is identify myself with you in an unashamed manner. That I'm not ashamed no matter what the cost. So I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. And I know that this may get dicey. And so I went into my junior year, and, and now even as a Christian, I was still, you know, I was still compromising, and I might do some things that weren't right, and people are still blending in, right? In my sophomore year, my junior year, things started changing. Um, I, I started doing this. I felt led by God to do this. this. This may seem like a small thing, but it was a big deal for me at the time, and I really believe the Lord used it. I started carrying my Bible with me to school. Now, we didn't, have our, we didn't have phones, okay? So we didn't, not everyone had their U-version thing where you can look like you're texting or whatever, you know. I had a Bible that my parents had given me, and I felt like, I, first of all, I was hungry for the Word of God. Any moment that I, that I could get, I wanted to dig in and learn more about Christ. And so there were moments in class, uh, w w you know, where maybe there was nothing going on. And instead of cheating, you know, <laughs> that I was doing prior to that and stuff, now I was digging into the Word of God. And my friends around me started being like, what's going on with you? You know, they would ask, why are you reading the Bible? And I'd be like, because I'm a Christian now, and I, I really, I just want to know more about the Lord, you know. And so they started asking me questions and stuff. And so dialogue started happening with some of my friends. Now, um, uh, you know, so things started happening within me that was, it was just really cool. Another thing I started doing was, that was a bold thing for me was whenever we'd sit at, at the lunch table or whatever, um, and I'd sit with my friends, and that's a place where you kind of want to blend in, right, or whatever. We'd get there, and, I, and not every time, but sometimes I'd say, hey, guys, can I, can I pray for us and thank God for the food? 
And they'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, and so I'd pray. Not every time I would do that, but a lot of times I would just pause and just, and just stop and just thank God for my food. And I know that people notice that. And I would be like, God, will you just use these little things like this where people will start kind of noticing something different about me. Now, this was a big deal. My mouth dramatically changed. The things, because God was cleaning up my heart, you know, the things that come out of your mouth is the things that are in your heart. My heart was filthy, so I had a filthy mouth. So my heart started changing, so my mouth started changing. I wasn't saying a lot of the things that I used to say, and God was putting more of a restraint and, and, and filter upon my mouth. And, you know, I wasn't talking like everyone else was talking, and it's, and it's bad. I mean, we know. We don't want to pretend like it's not. It's bad. It's bad where you work. It's bad at school. It's just the, the, the language is, was horrible. Here was a crazy thing. I started being nice to people. That was weird, okay? People definitely started noticing that. I started actually, instead of being mean to, to kids that were kind of on the out, outskirts there, I would notice them because the Lord would put something on my heart, and I would notice them, and I would decide that I was going to sit with them. And I'd sit with them, and I'd talk with them, and then a lot of times at first, kind of like whenever Saul changed to Paul, and the believers were like, what's going on here? Is he infiltrating? Those kids looked at me like, what's happening? Are, are you about to punk me here? What's going on? You know, and I would, I would be like, no, I just, I just want to, and sometimes when, when they would pick on kids like that, I would stand up for them, and I'd be like, you're going to leave them alone, or you're dealing with me. And that's kind of what would happen. In fact, uh, one, of the, one of the moms of one of those kids, she works over at Lighthouse Fellowship, and I see her occasionally. And she said, you did that for my son. And I want you to know that meant a big thing. It was a big deal to him that you did that. And I'm like, I don't even remember doing that, but okay. All right. And she said, well, he does. And that was a big thing. So God started, like, giving me this heart for, for people that were more timid, for people that, you know, and I don't want to say weaker or whatever, but just people in that sense that maybe were more timid in that sense. And God had given me influence to be able to take a stand for that. But, but this was kind of the testing point for me. I was at football practice, and you know, if you're playing football, you guys that know, it, the language can get a little salty out there in, in the competitive world there. And so I was leading our, our, our team, I was lead, and this was in practice, and I was captain of our defense. I was the middle linebacker, and I'm in the huddle with these guys, and I'm standing there with them, and we're kind of waiting for some, there's some kind of delay going on for the next play. Someone's getting coached up over here for whatever, and I'm standing there, and, and they're in front of me, and I'm facing them. It's like they're my audience every time, and I'm calling plays and telling them what we need to do. And then one of the guys who's the defensive tackle on our team, big guy, six foot four, about 275, 85 pounds. He's the one that ended up getting a full ride to the University of Alabama, you know, a pretty good football team there. So he's a big boy, all right? He's one of the only ones at Basel that's ever gotten anything like that. He was just an amazing athlete and just really talented physically. And he says this to me, he says to me, he says, Bart, he said, he says in front of all the guys, he goes, what's up with you? What's going on with you? And he said, I don't think I've heard you say one cuss word the whole year in football. What is, and remember this, I'm, I'm, the Lord's radically changing me. And he's like, what's happening with you? And then it's, it kind of changed a little bit, and he said, I don't think I like it. I was like, okay, what are we about to go with this? What's, go, what's about to happen right here? He goes, I don't know about this. I don't know if I like this new you. And in fact, he was like, I, 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 my, it's my mission. I'm going to get you to say something bad. 
I'm going to, and so that was kind of a deal with him for a little while. But at that moment, I had this opportunity, had this opportunity to, to say, am I going to just blend in and be like, it's not, it's not a big deal or whatever. Or am I going to, I felt like the Holy Spirit came upon me at that point and said, this is your moment to nail this stake in the ground and to declare before these guys who are your peers who you are and what you are about. And, and, and you know where you said, Bart, you were going to follow me? Well, here you go. And I said, um, and again, they're still coaching up over there. And I said, that's just not who I am anymore. I said, I've, I've, I'm in a relationship with Christ now. I'm a Christian now. He has all of me. I gave myself to him. And what that means is he also has my mouth. And so these things are going on within me or whatever. And now let's run 43 Mike Sikkim ready break. All right. And then I went and messed someone up in Jesus' name, all right, right after that. And, and I kind of got crazy like that. I started having smiles on my face while I was annihilating people for the Lord, okay. And they were like, he's crazy, you know. And I'd be like, are you for sure you'd go to heaven today? Because I'm going to kill you in this next play. I mean, that's what it was like. And that's kind of what was going on. And, you know, I wanted people to see that you could also be a Christian and not be a wimp, but also not a spiritual wimp. Because I had been that, right? And, that, and so, and you know, and I wish I could tell you, you say, why are you telling us this story? I wish I could tell you that whenever I did that, that all of our team at that point fell down on their knees crying out in repentance to Jesus Christ, saying, save us, Lord. This holy man is among us. You know, that didn't happen. Can I tell you what really started happening a little bit after that? A lot of my friends, if not many, many of them, if not all of them, not all of them, but, but many of them started kind of distancing themselves from me. I started going through a period of just, I'm going to tell you, just some serious, serious loneliness. They started distancing themselves from me. Many of them wouldn't call me to go hang out. And, and I would kind of want to do that because I would want to go be among them because I wanted to be a light in the darkness there. Sometimes I would just show up at some of the parties, and they'd be like, oh, man. And I, I never judged. I just showed up because I wanted to just talk to people. I, I felt on mission with God. And so, you know, I would go there, and, 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 but many of them wouldn't, they wouldn't call me, and that started happening. I went through a real serious, serious just time of loneliness. And, and I, I remember thinking, God, what, what's the deal here? What is the deal? I'm, I'm taking a stand for you, and this is what I get. And, and I was very immature, and, and I remember just this rejection. I don't know if I can handle this, God. I feel so alone. And, and then the Lord would, through somebody, remind me that, that my Savior Jesus was despised and rejected among men. And then I would find courage again in some way. God would always perfectly provide in some kind of way in my life. And, and, and so I stayed true to my faith. And then what I, I didn't understand what this was at the time. But you know what that really was? It's a form of persecution. It's a form of persecution. Now, some of my friends, at that they were kind of freaked out by that. And I'll tell you, I started sharing the gospel with some of them. I was so alone. I was like, Lord, I'm just going to have to share the gospel with people because i got to make some friends. And so I started sharing the gospel. Some of them came to faith in Christ, not all of them. But I want you to know, many of them didn't agree with me or my lifestyle or whatever. But, but through, as I stayed consistent and true to my faith through that rest of that period of time, 
they, they might not agree with me, and many of them wrote that in my yearbook. We, we don't agree with your lifestyle. We're going to live however we want to live, but we respect you. So I was like, wow. That meant a lot to them. That meant a lot. And then you know what happened? Ten years later at my high school reunion, ten, ten years later, I showed up, and where some of them had said, you know, I doubt it's going to last, or some of them, their, their deal was I'm going to get him to fall, you know, that, at that point. We're, we're gonna, we'll see if, what he really believes about this. Ten years later, I'm at my high school reunion, and you know what Hope and I experienced? We had just started Eagle View Church. Some of them came up to me, and they, and, and they were like, what are you doing now? I was like, well, we started a church in, in our home area. We're just getting started. We're meeting in homes and meeting at the school and this and that. And you know, it was interesting. Some of them came to Hope and I and said, I'm going through one of the hardest times in my life. Would you pray for me? At our high school reunion. One of them came to me and said, my mother is dying of cancer. Will you pray for us? God opened these doors. One of them came to us and said, I'm going through a divorce. And I'm so lonely. And I'm here. Would you just pray for me? And I'm talking independently of one another. This was just, and I just sat there and I remember walking away from that going, God, thank you for using me. I'm so humbled. That I would even have the opportunity to stand strong for Jesus Christ. Here's why I'm telling you this story. I'm not saying be like me. You know, you don't be like me, okay? You be like what God's made you to be, okay? But I want you to understand, because even as a pastor, do you know what? I still struggle with boldness for God. I still struggle with, with standing up for, for things that are right and stepping in and, and doing the right thing and, and being bold for Christ and being unashamed about my faith in him. Chad preached uh, last week about being bold at work and, and you know, and, and Randy preached a couple of weeks ago about the Holy Spirit empowering us for boldness. And when you start getting intentional about stepping up for God in whatever capacity, here is something you need to understand. You need to understand that the enemy takes notice of that. The enemy did not like the fact that many men in our church this weekend made commitments to Christ, to follow him and to lead their families. They took, the enemy takes notice of that. Okay, and, and when, when we decided to do this series, we had a spiritual awareness of knowing that when we start talking about these kinds of things, the enemy doesn't like that. And so when, when a church becomes alive, when a believer becomes alive, when a man for God or a woman for God becomes alive for him and decides to step up and be bold for Jesus Christ, unashamed and identifies themselves with Jesus Christ, you can count on this. You will face persecution. I'm not going to water that down for you. I don't want to sell you a bill of goods. I don't want to give you a secret sensitive message today. I want you to hear this, Christian. When you stand for God, when you start living godly for him and stop blending into the rest of your society that we are so prone to do, and I do it too, but when we start stepping up, not obnoxiously, not hatefully, not those kinds of things, but going across the grain of society, you can count on it, you're going to be persecuted. And it comes in a number of different forms. Persecution, your first point today, is to be expected for believers who are bold. You just need to expect it, okay? 
And I'm, I'm gonna, not, that's not because I say it, you need to expect it, because I'm going to show you in the scripture that Jesus prepared us to expect it. He prepared his apostles to expect it. I don't want to water this down. Jesus didn't water it down. None of the apostles did. Uh, and when you actually decide to step out of your holy huddle, okay, because it's easy to act like a Christian amongst believers, okay, but when you step out of your holy huddle and identify yourself with Christ outside of church or outside of your life group, outside of your men's group or whatever, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's at the next family reunion, maybe it's at, you know, at work or at school or wherever. When you decide to do that, you need to understand something. It's not going to be easy. When the church comes alive, when people for Christ come alive, you need to ex expect this, that you are going to face difficulty. What do we do with that? Again, next week we're going to look more at a story where persecution happened. But what I really felt led, we were going to look at that today, but I thought, you know, I really feel like I need to lay some groundwork in a theology of suffering, a theology of persecution for Christ, and answer some questions. Why does God allow it? Can anything even good come from it? Or is it pointless suffering in my life? Does God somehow take pleasure in seeing me suffer for him, you know? And so in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at some stories in the book of Acts. We won't get to those today, but I felt led to just give you biblical understanding. How are we to respond to persecution whenever it happens in our lives? That's what we're going to give you next week. How do you respond? So you need to commit to being here, and the enemy's going to try to keep you away from this because you need to hear it. And I need to hear it. We need to hear it because I want to say this to you. You are going to face it. Christian, you are going to face it and you need to know what to do with it. We want to, as your pastors, we feel responsible to not only teach you and encourage you to be bold, but to also tell you what to expect whenever boldness comes in your life. You need to know what to expect. We don't want you going, man, they never told us that. The scripture never said that. So we're going to learn these courage, these, these uh, lessons in courage from the first believers, putting in context what was going on. Remember the disciples were these spiritual wimps. And I say that because I can say it because I was one. They ran whenever it got tough. You remember that? They ran, they hid when Jesus was being uh, assaulted and when Jesus was being crucified. They ran. I don't cast stones at them because I did the same thing and my life wasn't even under threat. I was just getting made fun of or afraid of what others might think. So I, they were being a spiritual wimp. Then they encountered the living Christ. He, he changed their lives. He empowered them. He emboldened them with the Spirit of God. In the second chapter of Acts, now they are alive. And what Jesus told them, he said, I'm going to let you know when you come alive, you need to anticipate this. Here's what he said in John chapter 15, verse 18. He said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. Now, we're in the world, but we are not to be of the world, right? We're in it. We're not to isolate and just go off to some little camp and stay in the, in the holy huddle there forever. We're to be amongst people because we're to be the light. The Lord has called us to that. So he says, he said here that you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. So say the next thing with me, all right? Doesn't water it down. So it what? It hates you. That's not a mealy mouth message. It's going to hate you. He says, you come out of the world, it hates you. And then chapter 16, he gets into verse 1. He says this, I have told you these things. 
so that you won't abandon your faith. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not giving you just this little secret-sensitive message. I'm going to bring you some truth right now. It's going to be hard truth. You need to hear it. I'm going to let you know up front what to expect because here's the deal. You need to decide whether you're going to follow me or not. That's how Jesus, you need to decide. You know, you're going to man up and follow me, or are you going to blend in like everyone else? And, and so he says, I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. Because it's, in other words, it's going to get hard, guys. It's going to get tough. You're going to be challenged in your faith. Now look, for you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. Now, I was thinking about that while I was reading that this week, and I'm a little ADD. I'm thinking I'm maybe listening to Jesus and looking at a bird or something or whatever, you know. And then Jesus said, and when the time will come when those who will kill you, I'd be like, what? What did he just say? Did he just say when those who will do what? Who will, will kill you. Notice he didn't say who, who might, you know, bully you a little bit. Who might push you around a little bit. Who might say ugly things about you. No, Jesus straight up said, when those who will kill you. Did this come true for the apostles? Yeah. It came true for every single one of them. They got expelled from the synagogues. They got, they got tortured. They went through persecution that we're going to look at in the coming weeks. When you identify with Christ boldly, this wasn't a tickle your ears message. It was this message that he brought that he says, when you identify with Christ, you will experience hostility from the world. Expect it. Don't be surprised by it. Expect it. So in, in the book of Acts, we come to chapter 4 in that book, and we'll look next week at the story. It's in the early stages of the church. Now they are boldly preaching Christ, okay? They're preaching Jesus. People are coming to Christ in the droves as Jesus is being lifted up in chapters 2 and 3 of Acts. And now the once ashamed to even know Jesus, Peter, right? Now he is boldly preaching Christ. People come to faith in Jesus Christ. And now when we get to chapter 4, there are about 20. 20,000 believers now in that, in that place. Man, the church is exploding. Now, when a church is on fire and is exploding and good things are happening, when families, when, when men step up and lead in their families and decide that they're going to be the men of God, because it's a fearful thing to do that sometimes, but we're going to be the men of God we're called to be, you know, or when single parents step up and lead godly in that way, single moms do that, you need to un understand and anticipate that there's going to be resistance. So resistance starts to kick up, and there are these religious leaders, the same ones that crucified Jesus. They start, and this is how the enemy often starts. He uses a fear tactic. It starts with threats. It starts with mental abuse. It starts with, with you know, just, just kind of rejection and these kinds of things and ridicule and all those kinds of things. That's where it starts. Now, it escalates, as we'll read next week, into physical abuse. Now, in most cases, most of us who are here today would say, I don't know if that really relates to me. You know, I've never really felt threatened for Jesus Christ physically or whatever because, you know, we don't really have that kind of persecution that's going on here in America yet. Are you hearing me? Yet. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm, not, I'm just saying you need to be prepared you need to be prepared. There could come a time where that happens. It may not happen in our generation. It may happen in our kids' generation. It may happen in that. I don't know when that's going to happen. You see the culture shifting very rapidly before your eyes, do you not? 
I mean, you see those things happening. And so we don't identify with the physical abuse yet, but we need to understand that Satan is so subtle, and he gets that that probably doesn't scare us much, so he uses other kinds of tactics. And what's been most effective for me in my life and what's been effective against you in your life is he knows how to get at our ego. He knows how to get at our ego that if I identify myself with Christ in an unashamed manner and that I stand up for, for being as being a Christian, you know, and I'm not talking about just wearing the T-shirt or putting the, the sticker on the back of your car, you know, I'm talking about living it in front of you, the people where you work. I'm talking about living out acts of great kindness and generosity and loving people and speaking truth and love, okay? I'm not, I'm not talking about just saying, I'm a Christian. I'm talking about living it. When you start doing that, okay, what he does is he uses these kinds of things that get at our ego, like maybe status amongst my peers or my colleagues at work or my peers at school. You know, what are they going to start thinking about me? Are they going to think I'm one of those just religious nuts or whatever? Or maybe acceptance amongst my, my friends or my family. Maybe my reputation starts to take a little bit of a hit, you know, because, uh, you know, again, or my position in our community, if I have a position in community or amongst my neighbors. They actually maybe these may be the most subtle yet most devastating kinds of tactics that the enemy uses. And it's been working for, for 50 plus years in the church in America, for the most part, many believers are silent about their faith. And in most part, the church of America is very ineffective right now. It's very ineffective. And that's what's going on. He uses fear. Fear that somebody might not like us. Fear that I might be labeled a Jesus freak. Fear that freak that I'm a, uh, that maybe I'm, I'm I'm looking to position myself for this for this you know this p position in my job so I have to be a little more politically correct or I'm I want to be in the in crowd at school or work and if I'm honest and examining my own heart this is what has been most effective in my life I wasn't really afraid of getting beat up all right I wasn't afraid of that but I was certainly intimidated certainly spiritually kind of coward. Jesus said to expect it, right? Paul also said to expect it. Paul, who was imprisoned for the gospel, this is the last book that he wrote before he was executed for the gospel. Look at what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he's trying to embolden this young pastor to not cower in his faith and these Christians. And look at what he says. He doesn't water it down either. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, say it with me, church, will what? Suffer persecution. You want to step up and live a godly life, not a religious life. I'm talking about a really godly life where you're living it out. Paul says, expect it. You're going to face persecution. It may come in a number of different forms, okay? Now, if, when it comes, if handled right, you're saying that, man, this kind of scares me. It disturbs me a little bit, okay? Maybe we need to be disturbed a little bit. Maybe we need to be disturbed. Uh, but here's the thing. Can it actually even be a blessed experience? Can it? Could God use it for something good? I, I, I would say that Scripture teaches that he does, all right? So here's a, another note for you to write down. Persecution can be positive for believers who are bold. We may be tempted to avoid it whenever it flares up. We may be tempted to blend in when it starts up. Or we may even, if we're undergoing it, resent God for it, as I kind of did at that point. But I want you to know, we go into self-preservation mode, and we might back down. But Scripture actually indicates 
It can be a blessing. It can be a positive. How is it a positive? All right, let me give you some things quickly. Persecution produces this in our lives. It produces maturity as a believer. God is more interested in maturing us and making us more like Jesus than he is in us being comfortable. And so he will, you've heard it said this way before, I don't take credit for this, but I like when people say this, that God certainly comforts the afflicted, right? And we prayed that earlier in our song, but here's what he is also known to do, and he afflicts the comfortable. When we start getting complacent, he, he can come along and shake things up, and oftentimes he uses these kinds of things, or he allows these kinds of things. James, who was Jesus' brother, suffered for his brother. He was not a believer until the resurrection of Christ. And then in James chapter 1, verse 2, James writes, Dear brothers and sisters, he's writing to Christians, when troubles of any kind, so think about whatever it is you're going through. Maybe persecution, maybe something else, but some of you maybe it's persecution. When they come your way, consider it an opportunity for great, say it with me, what? Joy. For great joy. When you have problems, persecution, maybe just struggles at work, whatever, he says it's an opportunity for great joy. And why could it even be that? Because we need to understand that the sovereign God of the universe is at work behind the scenes. That he is working in ways that we can, we can never even see or understand. And sometimes we can't ever see it till later on. He is at work using it. Verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested and, in, and your endurance then has a chance to do what? To grow. You'll never get better at something as an athlete or whatever it is until you face resistance. Resistance training, working out, it makes you stronger, right? It breaks down the muscle, it builds it back up stronger. Running harder and running faster, it makes you stronger, okay? You, but you got, so you have that time where it's being built back up, and so you're enduring this. What is that endurance? It's patience. It's steadfastness. It's faithfulness. The testing of our faith produces growth in us as a believer. So look at verse 4. So let it grow, let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What that, nothing, that means this, that you're being made to be more like Jesus Christ in every situation. So whenever it comes about, don't avoid it. Don't resent God for it. Know that he's at work in it, because in it, God is bringing you to maturity in the manner in which he desires. He's growing you up in your faith. He's making you stronger as a believer. There are a couple of ways that God produces maturity. Here's how he produces it. He uses his word. God's word produces maturity, okay? It nourishes our soul, but here's what he also uses. He uses trials in our lives. He allows and uses trials that challenge us, that break us down and build us back stronger, okay? It's simply part of the process of spiritual growth. When I, as a young man, was going through that period of loneliness and struggle, and I was suffering, and I was getting angry at God, and I'm like, I don't know, I started having doubts and questions of, is this worth it? Is this worth for me to follow through with this? It was hard. It wasn't pleasant. But you know what? I've, I can look back on it now and I can say, God, and at that, even at that 10-year reunion, I can say, God, I see you at work even in those times that were dark in my life. You are making me into the man that you want me to be today. I wouldn't be who I am today 
perhaps, and, I, and, and not that Eagles View is all about me or the personality, but the Lord did, the Lord did call us to plant the church, perhaps EBC wouldn't be here. See what I'm saying? You see that effect that whenever you, you actually are obedient to God, how it, it affects so many things that happen along the way. So you don't run away from it. You don't get angry about it. You accept it. And look at verse 12 in this passage. God then blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. What does God do? He does what? Blesses. He blesses that. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life. So do you know what that means? That God has promised to those who love him. So what do we learn? It brings maturity. But you know what it also brings in your life? Persecution, when you endure it, brings reward from God. He rewards your faithfulness. Not only rewards you in this life through maturity and, and blessing and your, your peace that he gives you. He rewards you eternally. Now, now not, not, I'm not saying that gets you to heaven, okay? I'm saying you receive the reward that is the crown of life. Is that, that, that's a reward in heaven. That he gives to those who are persecuted for his name and who endure that, okay? God's pleased with this. It brings reward. Now, I want to just kind of, as we start getting close to wrapping this up, all right, I want to take you through some things that the apostle Peter said. Peter understood something about persecution, did he not? We'll be looking at his story next week, and you'll see how he lived this out. But I wanted to develop this with you first, okay? All right, so in 1 Peter chapter 2, Verse 18, he's talking about godly living, and what did Paul say? When you live a godly life, what's going to happen? You're going you're to be persecuted. You should expect it. So here's what he says. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, all right? We can look at this. Th this had to do with, with slaves and masters, okay? We can look at this in terms of, of maybe a work environment or whatever and applying it in our lives. So he says, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle but also to the unjust. Some of you maybe have difficult bosses, right? Okay? But he's saying you be subject to that with gentleness and with respect there uh, is what he says. For this is a gracious thing when, as you're undergoing that, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering, what's the word? Unjustly. Suffering unjustly. So you're doing the right thing. You ever done the right thing at work, and you're doing the right thing maybe in your family, or you're doing the right thing out there, and then you end up catching backlash, and you suffer for it? Have you ever had that happen? Here's what the Lord is saying, is you endure that. You endure it. For what, he goes on, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? In other words, you did something to deserve that, right? But if when you do good and suffer for it, if you endure, I want you to see this, all right? This should bless you as a believer. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Amen? He blesses that. He blesses that endurance. He's pleased when you patiently endure. It pleases him. Now look here in verse 21. For Now this, 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 this is powerful. For to this, that is staying strong. That is staying strong no matter what the cost. For to this you have been, what's the word? Called. You have a calling to this. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We'll look more at the examples in the coming weeks. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, now this is good, continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In other words, what can any man do to me? I am in the hands of the living God. Now, things may not work out exactly the way that I like for them to, but my life is in God's hands. Jesus trusted the Father to take care of him. Peter trusted the Father to take care of him. All right? Paul trusted the Father to take care of him. We are called to trust the Father to take care of us in the midst of this and to not compromise. I remember when I started taking my bold stand for Christ and how hard it was, and as I said, getting mad, but God was producing something powerful in my life. I look at this now, it's the same way for you, whether it's persecution or the trial you're going through at work or in your family or whatever, you need to understand that God in His sovereignty never wastes one second of our pain. Because He is working all things together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. In Christ Jesus, amen. He is working it all together. He never wastes anything. It's all doing something in you, something in your heart. First Peter 4, all right, bringing this home. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had. And be what? Ready. Ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. In other words, what it, what it means is when you go through this, now it's purifying you. Have you noticed that suffering can bring purification in our lives when the heat gets turned up, right? And we're like that gold and there's impurities in the gold and the dross rises to the top and then it scrapes off. This is what's going on is, is it purifies you, look, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will, will be anxious to do the will of God, all right? When you start going through that, you realize what really matters in life is what he's saying. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. Now read the next thing with me. So they what? Slander you. They slander you. That's what happens. It happens. He understood this. Peter understood this. But remember that they will have to face God. He's saying that's between them and God. Your friends... Don't be surprised, verse 12, at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, he's going to start telling us what our attitude is supposed to look like as we go through this. Instead, he says, be very what? Be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. That's called the fellowship of suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be what, church? Blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. You've not done anything wrong is what he's saying. There's no shame. 
Now read the next, the last part right here. Read it with me. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. So we are to be very glad. We are to be thankful. We are to be praising God. We are to recognize his hand at work. So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. So here's what we start doing. We start living for God. We start getting a little fearful. We start thinking, if I do this, am I kind of out there on my own? Here's the last point. Last point is God is with us when we are bold. Paul responds in Romans 8. I'm letting the word preach to you today, all right? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or are what? Persecuted? And then it goes on and then he says, nothing can separate us, can ever separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Not trouble, not trial, not calamity, not persecution, not what any man can do to you. Nothing will ever separate you. Jesus promised you, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You know, he gave that promise when he said, go and preach my gospel to all nations and all people everywhere. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will give you the words that you need to speak whenever you stand before men. He told him that, right? It's the same promise that you and I have today. So how can you be bold just this week? Say, that's a heavy message. All right? Start taking steps of boldness. What might that mean for you this week? Maybe the Lord's going to put something on your heart where you see somebody at work, you know, and you know they're going through a struggle right now, and maybe they don't have any idea that you're a Christian, or maybe they kind of know you go to church, but they don't really know much about. What if you just said to somebody, what if you said, can I pray for you? That's bold. All right? Especially I know in some of the places that you work. Can I pray for you? Maybe I'm not going to pray for you now, but can I pray for you later? Or maybe you pray for him right then. I, can I be praying for you? You know, I, I'm sorry you're going through this. You don't have to have all the answers to what they're going through. Just, I just want to be praying for you. I want to be praying for you, talking to God on your behalf. What if, what if God puts on your heart to do something very kind for somebody this week, and, and you do that, and you're obedient, and they're like, what's up with you? Why'd you do that? And, and then instead of just going, oh, I like you or whatever. Well, I do love you, but the Lord put that on my heart. And I'm being obedient to him. I do that because he commands me to love my neighbor as I love myself. Do you see what I'm saying? Just little things that point glory back to him. Those little things are bold things. Would you say today, God, here I am. Use me. What about this week? Maybe, maybe coming off the men's conference, men, you're going, what am I going to do with this? You know, am I going to, am I going to live this? And what if it was this week, the bold thing was you prayed, you prayed with your wife this week, and you've never done, well, I'm going to look dumb saying that, you know, I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to do. God will never leave you, he will never forsake you, right? You say, what, what if we might look a little dumb or whatever, but God will never leave us, he will never forsake us, it's, it's just a seed of the gospel planted in her life that your kids might see. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you don't water it down, that you tell us what to expect. And I just pray, Lord, today for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that we, Lord, would be alive for you. That we would not cower in our faith. Lord, show us what what boldness means. 
God, show us what it means to do the right thing when it's the hard thing to do. Maybe this morning, as we just continue in prayer, you're going through some persecution because of your faith. For some of you, I know that this is a very real message. Maybe you've been rejected by your family. For some of you, maybe your friends have turned on you. Or maybe when you actually decide to take this step of faith, you very well may experience what I experienced where your friends, many of them kind of walk away from you. You know, a lot, a lot, a lot of people walked away from Jesus. Would you stand firm? Draw near to him. He is close. Jesus said you are blessed when you are persecuted for his name. Thank him that he can even use that in your life for something that is good. Just in the quietness of your heart, would you just draw near to him? Would you just begin to say, Lord, here I am drawing near to you. I want this. I want to, I just want to be the real deal, God. I want to be a faker. I'm sick of being a hypocrite. Jesus here in this moment with you, I have all that I need, draw near, and I draw near, I draw near to you. Father, we do draw us close, knowing that you meet us right where we're at. Father, just the, the vision of the prodigal and the father who loves. As you run down this road, Father, wherever path we've been on, you run to meet us, to embrace us. Lord, whether we face open heartache and persecution from others this week. Father, whether we are dealing with our own struggle with this life, 